Welcome to School of Everything Else. Welcome to a brand new episode of a series I did a while back wherein I bring on guests to discuss the music we love from movies and video games. The Sound of Gonzo. And this is the Disney Special. To be precise, it's the 90s third renaissance of Disney, and this show acts as a taster for the nine classic Disney masterpieces and Rescuers Down Under that mark this 10-year period between 1989 and 1999. It's a taster for the films and the shows coming up that we've recorded that go into startling depths into their production. If, for some reason, you don't own this period of Disney on home format, then this is the musical reminder to track them all down in the time between now and when we start on the podcast, first one being The Little Mermaid. So as well as The Little Mermaid, you've got Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan. And if you want the complete set, The Rescuers Down Under, I mean, I don't know, you might like mice or something. Even Disney isn't proud of The Rescuers Down Under. It's never been released on Blu-ray without the original attached. Speaking of which, if you do already own these on DVD, now might be the time to upgrade to pristine 1080p. Not one of them is anything less than stunning to watch. Even at times, The Rescuers Down Under. With me is a fan of The Rescuers Down Under, the fairly regular Sound of Gonzo guest, James Batchelor. Hello, James. Hello. Um, you're not a, not a fan of Rescues Down Under. I see you missed out a goofy movie as well. Yeah, it's, it's not part of the, uh, the 90s uh, Disney Renaissance canon, is it? It's, it uh, it's totally worth watching, especially if you're a fan of Disney, but it's, yeah. not, one, it's not one of those... Um, goofy goofy yeah. movie is a Saturday morning cartoon that got out of hand. Yeah, but although it is... It's so, like, 1990... Or like like when was it actually released? Like nineteen ninety? I think it was like ninety four, ninety five. I because for some reason I thought it was an official animated classic. Yeah. Somewhere between Lion King and, and Pocahontas. Uh, nineteen ninety five. Yeah, and it is so nineteen ninety. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically because they're kind of like um, they're Prince Michael Jackson substitute played by I believe Bobby Brown in the movie. Am I wrong on that? I've watched it once and never again. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan Floyd's a fan of this one. Um, uh, is well, I think we could probably actually no, we aren't covering this one, are we? Uh, it, it, it just it really feels like you know you know that sort of like the integer between the eighties and the nineties where the fashion was at its absolute worst. Yeah, or best, depending <laughs> on your perspective. Um, now, James, do you remember the last time that you and I did one of these? Uh, I want to say it's either Star Wars. I think it's the Star Wars special. Nope. No, when was the that last was time we did this? That was way earlier. That series. was earlier, was it? It was volume nine. The Star Wars special was like volume four or five. Okay. Volume Bunny, nine. What was, what was volume nine? Was it a it was general? Me, you, and Matt Ramsey. And this would have been September 2013, and we were covering all kinds of video games. Yes, I do remember that one. And it ended in Eris's theme from Final Fantasy VII. Legend of Zelda 25th Anniversary Medley, was that you? Yes, that was. It was Fez, 
um, there was Journey. That would have been that Matt. was me. Oh yeah, there no, you. Okay, Journey was me. It's the um, sand dune surfing level. Uh, Alan Wake, welcome to Bright Falls. Um, Skyrim from past to present. Matt was a big fan of Skyrim, so that might have been him. Super Mario Galaxy must have been you. Gusty, that must have been gusty, me. Gusty, gusty, gusty Galaxy. Definitely me. <laughs> Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog staff credits. That was me. That was the video games live version. Uh, Tetris main theme. World yeah. of Warcrafts. That was me. Um, Splinter Cell Conviction. Matt, I think. Medal of Honor main theme. I think that was me. Again, the video games live version. Yeah. Uh, Halo 3, one final effort. That was Matt. And then I ended on Eris's theme. So it's been a long time. Right now it's, uh, it's the beginning of September 2016. So three years. Yeah, it's it's been a while, and this 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 coming back is your fault yeah. because I I was on Twitter or something. You you teased me. You mentioned you mentioned soundtracks, and that got me thinking about the sound of Gonzo and the shows that we did. And I started thinking about you know what other specials we could do. And I I just listened to your episode about um, the rescuers, Black Cauldron, Fox and the Hound. That period, mm, mm. Um, and I thought you know what a Disney Disney one. yeah. Because a lot of the time I, I, I make room for the um, sing songs from, from the Disney films, but I put the, um, the, the score in the background while people are talking. So you don't really get to appreciate just the nuance in all of that stuff. And, and the, you know, the average person of our age is probably unlikely to, and if they are, then you know, they're still going to enjoy the show. But if they well, aren't, the thing. You- they're not going to have uh, on CD. I'm just going to listen to the Hercules soundtrack right now. No, and I, I have to admit, I don't have many of these. I don't have any of these soundtracks just on on CD. No, I lie. My wife has the the Lion King. Um, I have all but, of them. Nice, but but I, I kind of I started thinking about it, and it's like a lot of the attention musically goes to Disney songs, and rightly so. The songs are absolutely incredible. They're timeless. They're you know they're really engaging. They they can. Uh, evoke a lot of emotion from people usually sheer unadulterated joy mm. um, but not a lot of attention goes on the actual scores themselves and, and even in the very first sound of Gonzo we did I included a piece from um, from a Disney film and I think it was they're Mulan, kind of underrated it? it was uh, it was so Mulan the, uh, the cutting her hair bit Yes, which I think is just—I still think is a fantastic piece, and that, that, it got me thinking. Like, there are so many great cues from the from these films, and you, you say, yeah, we're obviously focusing on the kind of the '90s ones. That wasn't by intention. That was just by thinking about which ones have the best music, which ones have the most evocative tracks, mm. and you you land on the '90s ones. I mean, in the long list I sent you, I kind of forced myself to find some cool ones from like you know the the real classics like you know like the peter pan the, you know, the aristocats the the really early ones but if you want the, the the best quality music you have to go 90s yeah in terms of disney not necessarily in terms of pop <laughs> well you, um it's it, the the their audio production was second to none at this stage and absolutely yeah and uh, there was a the fact that they kept asking back uh, Alan Menken over and over again gives it, I suppose, a, a spine throughout those years of just this, this, this one guy. Like, he didn't do all of the films by any means, but he just he was a recurring voice in, in, in Disney films. So it kind of gave it a consistency, even if the animation style was changing. Yeah, definitely. And you, you know you're in for a good time when you see music by Alan Menken during the opening credits. Pretty much, yeah. I there's not a single bad score that he's done that I can think of. No. Um, 
Okay, so you're, we're starting with some Menkin, and uh, you, you went with the Little Mermaid titles, which is great, because this is the first bit of music that people heard when this third renaissance began. For folks who haven't heard these earlier Disney shows, the first renaissance was the first five movies, so Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Bambi. And then the next one was uh, when they came back after the war, so starting with Cinderella and ending with Walt's death in The Jungle Book. And then after that was the wilderness years until they came back here and they're, you know, finally on point again. So this is the first chords people heard. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a large part of why I chose this. Like, they, 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 and, and listening to your, your previous episode, like, you know, this really was a milestone. And you can, you can hear it when you watch it, even without context of, uh, of the, the, you know, the, the situation the, sh- the film was made in and what had happened to the company before. The moment you hear this opening, it's like, right, something special is about to happen. It starts with a nice little bit of a sing-song, the um, Fathoms Below, mm-hmm. which, you know, the sailor's having a bit of fun. It just kind of eases you in. It's, it's a nice technique, I think, like just getting a kind of a manly, friendly, hey, we're having a good adventure song. Um, it's kind of echoed in uh, Pocahontas with the Virginia Company mm-hmm. and Frozen with the We Are Cutting Ice song. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, they they kind of just like, hey, this is it. Kind of draws you into that world, like like this is how people are earning a living. This is what's happening in that world. This is the type. This is the setting. And then yeah, during the actual film, the fish gets caught, flaps, slaps a person in the face, and falls back into the water. Breathes with a sigh of relief. And then the main titles begin, and it is just stunningly beautiful. This piece of music. There's a real grace to it, which I think is largely because it complements like the animation of you know jellyfish and whales and all these different sea creatures, and you could kind of see that that Disney had really upped their game again in that hand-drawn animation and really trying to convey the the, the sense of wonder of this world beyond the you know, below the sea that, that very few people see unless they are particularly good at scuba diving, mm. um, and even you know it builds up to this this sense of, of wonder when they reveal the merfolk and you see kind of almost a silhouette they're not too detailed they're kind of um just out you know, just just in shadow as they as they swim towards atlantica and it builds and builds and builds drawing you into what is going to be a great two hours hmm. um it was just it was just such a great turning point
always hear the end of that and, th- and expect to hear the, um, the weird little trumpet. <laughs> These uh, were very, very economical films as well. If you if you go back, like when I, um, the thing that struck me about the 90s Disney's back when I was a teenager um, and, you know, shamelessly was watching these on video every day, you know, and it, well into my late teens and, and beyond. Um, most of the uh, teenage boys would not have been watching Hunchback or uh, Lion King, but they just were so rewatchable every single day. Yeah. Um, that, I was lucky in that I, I had a younger sister, so that was my perfect excuse to nice. keep watching Disney films. Okay, I guess I'll sit through the little moment again. It's a girl's film, but I suppose... Yeah. yeah. What I like is like the, the, the quote unquote girls films usually have something that the men can enjoy, like a Rastafarian crab or a hilarious French chef. But who doesn't enjoy a Rastafarian crab? That's non gender specific. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> if even if a slightly little bit racist as we were well, going to A little bit not quite as racist as my impression of it when uh, oh, <laughs> office God. office karaoke at Christmas party, little bit drunk, found that they had under the sea in the uh, in the songbook. Yeah, you know the um, the end of the song, and there's this moment of stunned silence as they realise that she's yeah. gone. Recreated that perfectly as the my my all of my colleagues didn't really know whether or not to applaud or hate me. Nice. I wish I'd been there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one is uh, is your favourite, The Rescuers Down Under. Now you, I think, when did we? We've talked about this before. Oh, hang on, hang on. Let me think. It was to do with a voice, and you were talking about um, the character of was it Bill? What, what's what's the name of the little lizard guy? No, don't oh, make me Oh yes, do Frank. Frank. What context were we talking about, Frank? I think we were saying when I'd originally read the Harry Potter books, in my head I'd Dobby's voice, Dobby being like Frank. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but uh, no, I, don't get me wrong. So. Following your uh, listening to your uh, Rescuers episode, I rewatched the Rescuers with the wife because that's one of her favourites, largely because the uh, the main little girl is named after her, Penny. Um, oh, wow. Penny. Um, oh, and uh, wow. so she she was really happy that you know her name. She's she's a Disney character, mm-hmm. you know, which made her made her year. I don't think there's um, a single Alex now that I can think about it. Pl- 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 Got to be a few Jameses. There's probably some Jameses. Well, James was the king in Pocahontas. Oh, yeah. I had a t- I, I settlement was named after me, Jamestown. King, like, yes, King James, the log- man, the man who uh, rewrote the Bible to his own ends. Brilliant, good, good chap. Yep, not one of his finest moments, but um, anyway, no. So I absolutely recognise that the Rescuers, um, the original, is the superior film. I absolutely- see Dan Floyd's the other way round. I don't know. We haven't got to this episode yet, but uh, he's a more of a fan of Down Under. I find this one watchable. I find this one a lot more kind. Although it's it's so daft and like when you when you go watch it and back and watch it, the rescuers actually calling it the rescuers is something of an exaggeration because they don't really rescue him. No. They don't turn up until the end of the bloody film. Yeah, it should be called Cody escapes. Cody and, and the eagle. Cody and the eagle. Yeah, and they meet some mice. Also you know? mice. <laughs> also also mice. That's that's it. Cody and the eagle. Colon also mice. That's the new name for this film. Bernard having but, relationship issues. But, uh, yeah. It's, but, it's a weird one because Bianca never really suffers any kind of anxiety in that regard. It's, it's just Bernard who's yeah. getting all jealous. 
yeah, she's she's calm as anything, and yeah. you know, annoyingly attractive Australian. It just like obviously not, no, not the mouse specifically, but like generally Australians tend to be quite attractive. So <laughs> I can understand why. Genuinely, find me an ugly Australian. I can't. That, that, it's impossible. There you go. See there. Um, so I can completely. Oh, hang on. Been uh, there. Texas Pete or whatever his name is in this. Uh, actually, is he Australian? The 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 hunter, the trapper. No, I mean, I mean, a real life oh, right. ugly Australian. You uh, will not find an ugly one. Yeah, um, true. So we can all we can all appreciate, uh, you know, Bernard's you know insecurities. Yeah, I, it's a watchable film. But the reason I chose um, this this coming piece, uh, Cody's Flight, is not because it's any wonderful memory of the the film. It's because it's one of the most uplifting uplifting pieces I've ever heard. It is. It's just got that sense of height and daring and speed and flight and i know that's a really lame way of describing it but that, that, that that's the best i can do i went to um disney world in florida a couple of years back 2013 and they they had a new attraction there called soaring now by new i mean it was somewhere between 1997 and 2013 mm-hmm. because so it was new to me soaring is brilliant soaring is um it's a, a hang gliding experience where you sit in a, a kind of a fake hang gliding chair and it lifts you up and there's an imax style screen showing point of view footage from a hang glider as you soar over landscapes and it's got this wonderful kind of music similar to this when you're in the queue for soaring this is one of the tracks they play over and over again and i was listening to it it's like that sounds amazing what is that i know that tune why do i know that and i realized it was cozy's flight it's like that's brilliant that's such a great piece of music and it really does build you up for for soaring so um that, that's a large part of why i picked this I'm going to have to look at some of this on YouTube on the big, big in 1080p on the big telly because this looks gorgeous as a ride. And I'm going to feel bad because I can't go to America and go to Epcot Center. Man. Oh, so is it actually it's showing you images on an IMAX screen rather than just being a roller coaster? Yeah, it's, right. I mean, you might you might lean left and right a bit. Okay. And the, but the amazing thing is they have this uh, smell technology. So as you're flying over pine forests, you smell pine oh, as you fly man. over an orange feed. It is incredible. One of the best attractions at Epcot Center. If you're anywhere near Florida, go now. Okay. Um, right, so uh, in the context of the film, boy and an eagle, and then the eagle flies, and you feel fantastic. So let's uh, let, let's listen to that.
Because James was pushed for time and we recorded this on his lunch break, we didn't get to cover the entire decade together, so I am right now adding in for you bonus songs. Now, this score is one of Sharon's absolute favourites and she would kick my ass if I didn't include it in, the, in this particular Disney show. It is, of course, Beauty and the Beast, again by Alan Menken. Now, we are falling over ourselves in this house to see the live-action version with Emma Watson coming next year. Just a little of the score for the trailer was enough to have us all a little bit willing, I guess, and we'll get a little dusty. Now, I'm actually... A sucker for Disney princess movies. You wouldn't think that about me, probably, but there you are. Anyone who's been listening to the fifth New Century multiverse story, The Princess Thieves, will recognize a loving satire and occasionally extremely earnest recapturing of the feelings of specifically this Disney era woven into its fabric. I came this close to actually including a song at one point. We were all going to sing. But my princess insisted that while she could carry a tune, she couldn't sing. However, I'm not ruling it out for later, though. Just saying, Theo, your highness, we may do a musical. So this is the finale of Beauty and the Beast, one of the most heart-pounding moments of the decade, and you guys can look forward to a truly epic podcast show on this one.
Next up, we have Aladdin, once again scored by Alan Menken. And rather than going for another dramatic, heart-aching song, I've opted for The Cave of Wonders, which is comedy and action, which obviously Aladdin was extremely accomplished at. While you're listening, I want you to do one thing. Um, Imagine that you're Alan Menken and you have to represent gold and metal as both water and fire, because that's what it becomes in this sequence it goes from being this you know this alluring substance that's all around aladdin and abu and it becomes treacherous and it becomes a death trap and so it's these crashing waves and this rising sea of fire at the same time it's uh, just listen to all the twinkling and you you really you're there surrounded by all of this dangerous mysterious alluring treasure it's just wonderful the way that this sort of like there's this tension the whole way through and then Abu takes the red gem because he's a little thief yeah there's uh, quite a lot of Aladdin in The Princess Thieves as well
One of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Maybe my favorite Disney movie of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time. One of the greatest movies of all time. Absolutely incredible, astonishing. And one of my favorite composers of all time. So, James, tell me why The Lion King is good. <laughs> well, it's one of the best Disney's of all time. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of the best composers of all time. Now, genuinely, everything you've Seriously, just said it's a, is a large point it, of why I've It's I've a perfect it. film. Aside it from is. a couple of like times when you're like, racially speaking, is this a bit? But uh, that's overthinking The Lion King. It's, uh, it's perfect. It's just incredible. It's such an incredible film. There's something you can do to enjoy every time you go back. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, I didn't watch it for a couple of years, and then I went back. It's like, oh, my God, that's Mr. Bean is Zazu. How did <laughs> I not know this? Um, which I, I pointed that out to a colleague of mine like a couple of months ago, and they didn't know. Um, well, principally because Mr. Bean doesn't talk that much. They have, yeah, you have okay, to see okay. a bit of Blackadder. Blackadder Black yeah. is a bit, probably yeah. better, or, or that bloke from Love Actually. Um, Americans, if you've never seen Blackadder, treat yourself. Watch two three, two, three, and four. Avoid one. Avoid one. Know. Avoid um, the back and forth. Ugh. I quite like back and forth. You do? Kind of a, yeah, I like back and forth as a kind of, right, we're done now, it's finished, we're not doing this ever again. Yeah, I suppose. Um, um, also, yeah. the Christmas Carol's fun, too. Christmas Carol's good, yeah. yeah. And but the, basically, the, it's Rowan Atkinson being very, very sardonic. Yes. Which is a joy. So, no, I, I love The Lion King. Um, it is one of my favourite films. And, again, it's one of those films where, like, you know, the, the songs obviously get so much... Um, praise and so much yeah. of the attention because they're done by Elton John, the lyrics are by Tim Rice, you've yeah. got Circle of Life, Can You Feel the Love Tonight Be uh, Prepared Be Prepared is one of the greatest villain songs ever, right up there with their Poor Unfortunate Souls Yep. Um, there, there was a great YouTube video someone did uh, showing different Disney songs sung in their native, la- native language Oh nice um, So uh, I think it was like Circle of Life done in Swahili They did Be Prepared in German because of uh, certain hints and overtones uh, during the, the video. It really does work. It really is evil. Well, Simon um, Gruber was German, so I suppose it's fitting. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the best Gruber. Yeah. Um, oh, no, that's a no, tough I one. Know, okay. I, I don't make me choose. No. <laughs> um, like I said, all the attention goes on the songs, and, and yet the music is absolutely stunning and it, it really does get you wrapped up this piece in particular this is called king of pride rock mm-hmm. this is a six minute suite of different themes that are from out throughout the film largely centered around i believe this is all centered around the um, the finale mm-hmm. so you've got the mournful um tune from when they go home and they find pride rock is absolutely ruined you've got this that one yes um you've got the the sinister um almost like high-pitched flute as Scar is turning the tables back on Simba. The mm. tension really builds as he's starting to back Simba against them, um, you know, up Pride Rock and kind of turning on him. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, and then it's sort of like, you know, he's slowly unfolding his backup plan for if ever Simba came back. When you listen through without the dialogue... It's genuinely goosebump-raising stuff, oh, yeah. how powerful that music is. And then it builds up to what is quite possibly my favourite musical moment. Oh, my God, I've hit play. Hang on. Oop. It, sorry. So eager. I am. It builds up to what is possibly my favourite musical moment of the film, and I would argue the most triumphant musical climax of a Disney film, yeah. as Simba takes his place on Pride Rock, steps up, you know the clouds par he prepares to roar and then it goes into the re- the re- reprise of circle of life it is it the way that it ends with that dum 
you yeah. are left stunned and shell shocked from everything that has just happened because it is such an experience. Yeah.
and I'm done. <laughs> I'm just a, a soggy old pajama case now. Just wow, well done, Hunt Zimmer and uh, folks at Disney for that one. Um, cannot wait for you guys to hear our uh, Lion King show. I mean, all of these shows are great, but the Lion King one is very special to me. Um, the next movie for Disney was Pocahontas, which, since the Lion King managed to please pretty much everyone, was seen as the beginning of the decline of the 90s renaissance. Now, for me, it's not so much a decline as it is a series of five incredible animated masterpieces that aren't, perhaps, the greatest movies of all time, which The Lion King might well be. Pocahontas was a melodrama and a weepy one at that. It touched, in a well-meaning but naive way, on the invasion of America by white settlers and suggested rather unwisely that they and the Native Americans possessing equal aggressiveness might just make both sides as good and as bad and as misunderstanding as the other. It also told the story of a ten-year-old native who apparently fell deeply in love with a white guy in his late twenties played by Jew-hating Mel Gibson. There aren't really a lot of ways you can spin this and make it seem like a good idea when held under the light of reality. However, if you take Pocahontas instead as a fable, a work of fiction, and put aside absolutely pertinent thoughts on why it's rather objectionable, what you have is an astonishingly beautiful, wonderfully scored, animated Broadway musical about meeting someone different from yourself, learning a little, and then being parted forever. Mencken makes the most of the tone shift from the more playful fare he'd done before and keeps his refrains soaring and sustained. They were, after all, attempting to snare the exact same audience that two years later, in 1997, would watch Titanic five times at the cinema each. So what you're about to hear is the last part of the film when Smith and Pocahontas have to say goodbye. And uh, listen out for uh, the bit. That's actually a deleted song called If I Never Knew You, which I believe they have someone sing in the end credits. But originally it's, it's, it's Gibson singing and a, uh, a version of the film uh, on DVD reinstated that. But not the Blu-ray, which drives me nuts. We'll talk about that later. And as Disney are prone to do, the gathering up to the crashing finale, especially when handled by Mencken, just just grabs you where you live. I particularly love the bittersweet moment where our heroine runs as fast as she can to catch a final glimpse of the ship sailing away.
this next one is once again Alan Menken. And rather than barrage you with finales, which feels unnatural, I'm just like I'm jabbing at your heart button over and over again, which, you know, you can't sustain that. I'm going to highlight some of the whimsy and the day-to-day energy and momentum of handling that the scores do. Because these movies fairly whip along. You, you stick in one of these 90s Disneys, and before you even know it, it's over. And you're like, wow, that was great. I want to watch it again. Um, but there's always some kind of music playing in the background. Almost always. It's almost never completely silent. And if it is, that's for a serious moment. Mencken had become adept by this point. By this point. At punctuating the scene as people talked and moved from one major emotional moment to the next. Just the stuff in between, you know? So this is The Bell Tower from Hunchback of Notre Dame, a movie almost certainly remembered for its Gregorian chanting and fire and brimstone and soaring Broadway rabble-rousers. This has shades of Les Miserables in terms of the criminal element of Paris, singing great big rabble-rousers and rebelling against the tyrannical dogmatic oppression. And Man, I hadn't realised just how many of these story elements I'd incorporated to The Princess Thieves. Oof. Yeah, that's in there too. Uh, Yeah, this is a moment where the gentle-hearted hunchback Quasimodo, who yearns to be out in the city and free of the sanctuary prison he's been held in his whole life, is showing the lovely gypsy thief Esmeralda round his home. Nothing major. No one dies. No one falls in love. I mean, he might. I think he's already in love with her at that point. There's no huge action scene. It's just two characters quietly connecting in a beautiful high place. (laughs) Once again, Alan Menken manages to make sound amazing.
Next on Disney's 90s run came a resounding disappointment for them and one of my favourites, Hercules. It's kind of a grab bag of elements from previous Disney's blended into a cocktail that has very much an acquired taste and a requirement to get quite a bit of Greek mythological humour that's squeezed into a never-ending slew of dad jokes. It has an amazing, sarcastic, cool-as-a-cucumber heroine, Megara, played by Susan Egan, a hilarious villain in the shape of the fast-talking, temple-vein-throbbing, literally-head-on-fire Hades, voiced by James Woods, a bunch of wordplay-heavy gospel-style songs that are really hard not to bop your shoulders along to, its bottled hero's journey that wears its colours on its sleeve, mashing together Superman and Rocky, and for the next piece, I'm going to give you that ending. Once again, this is Alan Menken, and this is where our hero, Herc, dives into the river of souls, sacrificing his life to bring back Megara, the woman he loves. Just, you know, listen to him bring it down to, like, the absolute moment of despair where, the, you know, this is, you know, the point in the hero's journey where the hero dies and is reborn and then he just brings it up for this incredible, triumphant finale. Uh, listen out for the harpsichord that's uh, signifying Hades and the underworld, possibly because of the threads of life that uh, seem to uh, run through it. It's, uh, the harpsichord itself lends a certain baroque tension to proceedings. Uh, there's also a lot of choral stuff here because it's the River of Souls, so it sounds like all of the souls are all sort of singing in unison and sort of forming a, if you will, Greek chorus. Uh, this movie was directed by John Musker and Ron Clements, who did Basil the Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and later Treasure Planet and Princess and the Frog. These are some of my absolute favourite Disneys. And they have just finished Moana, which I cannot wait to see.
Okay, so Mulan is uh, Jerry Goldsmith, and uh, we've already done uh, the uh, bit where she cuts her hair uh, in an earlier show, but this is Burned Out Village, and it's her low point in the film. It's just after... Girl Worth Fighting. A Girl Worth Fighting For. And it actually, it doesn't even finish the song. It just goes... A Girl Worth Fighting... And then it just sort of ends on a breath because they don't have the time to finish. They have just reached a burnt-out village. Everybody's dead. The one thing we're spared seeing is burned corpses. But we see a little doll on the floor and Mulan, you know, realises the extent of the Hun's ravening greed and, uh, and uh, destructive capabilities. It's also the point where you realise what they're up against because so far we've only seen kind of, you know, large, you know, a couple of crowd shots, but it's mostly been Shun Yu and a couple of lackeys. And you don't really see the full size of the Hun army. And this is the first hint because this is just before the Tung Shao Pass where you see the full, you know, barbarian horde. This is the first hint at, no, what you're going up against is something that you may not win against. And it's got this sort of wonderful sort of sparing flute. It's just this mournful cry. And just it's so... It's, it's the low point, and all Disney films have them if they're doing it right. And uh, th- this is, you know, this is a low point, which is then followed by a big action sequence and another low point because Mulan gets found out. So it's the, uh, it, you know, it's the, the fall into a steep canyon that uh, she's going to have to really pull herself together to get out of. And, uh, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith, I believe, now sadly departed. Yes. Um, I, I used to think this was one of his last scores, but I was I was absolutely wrong. He went on to do um, several scores within the, the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, he died in 2004, age 75, which is a good age for uh, a composer. And uh, the last major film he did was the... <laughs> Technically, it's Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the Universal Logo theme. Da, 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 was him, and Scott Pilgrim versus the World, of course, has that in a, a chip tune version. But uh, yeah, um, sadly missed. And, and this, you know, this is the composer of the, the Star Trek Next Generation theme and uh, Alien. He's just a masterful man who. Uh, um, the Poltergeist theme as well. Very good at otherworldly stuff. The personal favourite, Air Force One. Of course, yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, this is uh, Mulan.
And then just sort of, uh, it, it ends in a sort of a sad, okay, we have to gear back up again, but uh, something's been lost, you know? Yeah. Innocence. Right. It's given, it's given more gravitas and stakes to the, um, it's raised the stakes for the conflict. Yeah, yeah. It's shown that Shan Yu can't just be um, dissuaded, he has to be stopped with fireworks. Okay, so before we play the last song, uh, James, which podcast can these guys hear you on? Um, I have two. May I plug both? Go for you. Bond and Beyond is a sort of almost fortnightly. <laughs> There's no regular schedule, but it's um, it's a deep delve into the James Bond franchise. We're currently focusing on the movies, but we are planning to go into the books, to the games, everything around the franchise. Um, it can be found at bondbeyondpod.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. Um, must listen for all James Bond fans. That's me blowing my own trumpet far too much, but that's kind of who we appeal to. Uh, I also do Rare Replayed which is at rarereplayed.com. Rare Replayed is a not even vaguely regular podcast <laughs> where we track down the developers of um, Rare games. So Rare is a UK studio, for those who may not know, um, who make video games such as Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie, Donkey Kong uh, Country, Grab Cameo, by the Ghoulies, Grab by the Ghoulies, Conker's Bad Fur Day, and, of course, GoldenEye 007, the original N64 version. And Killer um, Instinct. Killer Instinct, Battletoads, there's so much. Last year, obviously, they um, re-released a they released a compilation, Rare Replay, which was 30 of their best games mm. to mark their 30th anniversary. We are tracking down the developers of those games and more to talk about how those games came to be. Um, that's rareplay.com. James, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you so much for having me. You, you're not allowed to discuss soundtracks without me, I without know. me knowing. <laughs> I was going to say, I know that uh, we will be back here soon with more, because you can't stay I'm off al- the show. I'm already thinking of other themes and, uh, and things that didn't quite fit within this remix. We haven't been able to do like the Pixar films and oh, this yeah. kind of other kids' films. I've got a couple of pieces I like from those. Just give me a theme, and I will think of some to match yours. Excellent. Um, and I have got more guests for more Sound of Gonzo's waiting in the wings. We're going to keep it called Sound of Gonzo. It completely bypassed Digital Drift. We were called Digital Gonzo. Then we changed it to Digital Drift. There wasn't a single Sound of Gonzo there. Now it's School of Movies, or indeed, in this case, School of Everything Else. But it's still going to be Sound of Gonzo because just kind of I like the, the, the heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, if you like this kind of show, by the way, folks, especially if you haven't heard any of them before, please say so on Twitter and Facebook, on the forum, and on Patreon, which is home to all the old Sound of Gonzo episodes, which can't be heard anywhere else. That is just another of the backstage bonuses that our supporters at the $5 level receive each month. You get backstage stuff, bonus old shows, all kinds of things, and goodies. Now, before we play our last track, here is a clip from Episode 7 of The Princess Thieves. Robin pulled out a pair of pistols and proffered them with a flourish at the two young ladies. Excuse me, your majesty. Frightfully sorry to have to do this, but I'm going to have to ask you two to come with me. We have no idea what you're talking about. We're fishmongers on the way home after a long day of mongering fish and fighting. We don't have any money. (laughs) Well, you don't smell like fish at all, which is odd for a brace of seasoned fishmongers. We clean up well. You certainly do. Now, Your Majesty... Your Highness... Sorry? You call a king or queen, Your Majesty. Brilliant. Thank you. Drop the charade, please, Princess Gwendolyn. I know your lovely face very well. What happened next was fairly fast. Viola whispered something and Robin's fingers turned to figurative chilling. He dropped his pistols and Oberon realized that the female dwarf was responsible. His eyes widened and he grabbed at her and flung her across Regent's Park and into a large cypress tree. Ah! 
As she sailed through the air, Viola managed a pinpointed sleep spell upon Oberon, who obligingly crashed to the ground, leaving Gwendolyn punching at the empty space where Robin had been. Stand still. No, you'll hit me. You little rats. That's hurtful. Honestly, this didn't go at all how I planned. As Gwen dived and lashed at Robin, he sidestepped and wove around her. I never knew you could do this. I was watching you fight earlier. You're amazing. I mean, for a girl. Come on, calm down. I promise I won't kidnap you. I can't. I mean, look at my friend down there. How am I supposed to move you and him at once? Come here. You've won, princess. You can escape now. I don't want to escape. I want you brought to justice, mister. I'm not sure I want to tell you. I have a reputation to maintain. And bungled kidnappings really don't help that sort of thing. I know who you are. Really? Well, you have a hood, you're a dwarf, and you won't stop bloody talking, so... She caught him by the collar and pinned his right arm behind his back. (laughs) I believe I'm in the presence of the dashing brigand Robin of the Hood. Hmm? You forgot green. I always wear green as well. (sighs) Let go of me. No. Let go of me. No. Please? Oh, all right. Really? No. All right, all right, what's going on here? Are these robbers? Can someone please help me down out of this sodding tree? Yes, please help her down, officer. Jump into my arms, miss. There. Uh. <sighs> Smith, bring wagon around. We've got an acker to do our thieves for choke Actually, they were robbing us. What? Come again. <laughs> we tried to run, but the Duarte tripped my companion over, and this woman mercilessly beat me into submission. She took my friend's wallet. I did nothing of the sort. I think you'll find she did. It has something like 12 gold in it. Brown leather. Oh, why? Why? He's correct, sir. The girl does have that purse right here. Twelve gold, like he says. Uh, He he must have slipped it into my coat while we were fighting. What about the pistols? Are you going to arrest me for armed donation to this woman? Oh, my head. What happened? You fell asleep and these two took us for everything we have. This is absolute balderdash. Officer, you are speaking to the... Shh! What? Shush now, uh, Vanessa. The game's up. What? They've got us banged rights. No. It's time we face the music. I have to tell them. This is Princess Gwendolyn, you fool. Look at her face. Yeah, it's pretty swollen and filthy. She's been fighting. Which we all know princesses do. Who are you, then? I am Miss Viola Hearthstone, official bodyguard of the princess. Now take us to Buckingham Palace. Everyone in there tonight will vouch for us. What do you think, Smith? Probably best to at least check them before we take them to the tower. They all seem shifty. Nah, nothing about this smells right. I don't trust one of you. What did I do? Shut your face, Ake. Smith, pick up them pistols. Take the bow off the duart. Take blades off the big one. Right, into the wagon, all of you. So we're making two stops tonight. And we're going to finish on Tarzan with a score by Mark Mancina now. This film didn't inspire The Princess Thieves, but it most definitely did inspire my third book, 
Tiger's Eye. Now, here's the interesting prospect for the podcast when it eventually comes out. When we recorded it with Daniel Floyd, and we're talking years ago now, I had not written word one of Tiger's Eye. So you can probably hear me getting fired up on our Tarzan podcast, talking about this amazing kinetic jungle and its larger-than-life inhabitants with a view to crafting my own at some point in the future. So this piece by Mancina is called A Wondrous Place. And it's uh, a lot of the Tarzan interacting with Jane and uh, the gorillas. And sort of you get these incredible sort of like, you know, the camera moves up and around this deep canvas. And oh, it's a beyond beautiful film. And Disney were hoping that they had a Lion King on their hands here. And what they ended up with was still, by a rainforest mile, the best Tarzan movie ever put to film. It's hard to imagine a live-action adaptation, even by Disney, being better, principally because Tarzan himself is so ape-like in his behaviour, he would have to be performance-captured or else just be played by a boring white guy. And that performance capture of a human being would almost certainly creep people out and put them off their popcorn. And I've just found out that the composer for the new live-action Beauty and the Beast, featuring a performance-captured beast, is Alan Menken, going back to his wonderful music and expanding upon it. I am almost as excited about that reorchestration as I am the movie. And we begin our 90s Renaissance series with Daniel Floyd, sooner than you might think. We'll be back in the new year with The Little Mermaid. And of course, if you get hungry for my take on princesses and thrilling adventure in the meantime, you know where to go. (music) 